Good morning, good morning. How's everybody today? Dead. Okay, great. Fantastic. <laughs> what? <laughs> Close. Everyone's been locked inside with their children for a week. I get it. Okay. Not, I'm not saying anything negative about my children. They're amazing. Most of the time. All right. Uh, I am really excited about today. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're fixing to dive into the book of Hebrews, but before we do that, we're going to go ahead and do our affirmations right now. And I want to do that for two reasons. Um, first of all, because I remember what it was like to be an aspiring elder and like sitting on pins. Not nervous because I was afraid I wouldn't get affirmed, but just, it was just exciting. Okay. And so, but, but more importantly than that, Okay, this is an act of obedience for us as a body, which means it's an act of worship. And so I want us right here in the middle of our time together to, to affirm together as a body what God is calling these men and women to, to these ministry roles. Okay, because I, want it, I don't want this to feel like an afterthought, like after church is over, then we're going to handle the business of the church. This is who we are as a body. We've spent a lot of weeks talking about that. So um, I need, uh, let's see. Maggie, are you in the room? Or not Maggie, I'm sorry. Michelle. Michelle. Maggie, you can come out too. That would be fantastic, actually. If y'all would come up, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do uh, elder affirmation first. Normally we do, when we have a vote of affirmation, we do it verbally. But this is a big deal. So we're going to do a written thing today. Here's some pens. If your pen doesn't work, don't put it back in the box. Throw it away, please. Um, if you guys would, I'm going to take one of these. I want you, I want you to pass these out to uh, all the adult members of our church. Okay. And here's what this says. I'm going to read this as, as they're passing this out because I want, you to, I want us to all be on the same page. It says, I, and there's a blank there, and you're going to write your name, okay? I know that feels weighty, but it's important. Here's why I want you to write your name because it continues to say, I have prayerfully considered the following persons for the biblical role of elder at the Gathering Place West. I understand their role as spiritual leaders in the body and affirm God's call on their life to serve as an elder. And then underneath that, you're going to see Jacob Crump's name and Carrie Westbrook's name. And there's a yes and there's a no. If you've prayerfully considered and, and, and believe that God is calling them to that role, you'll check yes. Okay? If you don't believe God's called them to be an elder, you'll check no. Okay? Once you're done with that, fold it in half and we're going to pick these up and we're going to go ahead and, and, and view the ballots and we're going to announce right now. Okay? So this is going to be kind of a real-time thing. So once you get your ballot, go ahead and... and uh, I hate to say vote, but mark your, mark your ballot, and, uh, and then we'll pick those up. When you're done, you can just put your hand up, and I'll grab those real quick. I should probably fill one out too, huh? What? Did your pens not work? All right, when you're done. No, I'm going to come get them. I'll come get them. I'm not afraid to walk. Oh, thank you. Morning, guys. Okay. Huh? It's, it's dead? Okay. Do you need a new one? Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Maddie asked if she could vote for her husband, and obviously the answer is yes. And, and Jacob and Carrie, you can vote for yourselves. That's legal as well. 
because I hope that you have prayed. Thank you, thank you. All right, anybody else? Do I have them all? Miss Debbie here? Okay. David, you good? You done? Thank you, thank you. Everybody got theirs turned in? What is that? Yeah, come get one. Did you? Look, this is not a good sign, bro. I felt like that was really clear instructions on what was supposed to happen. Oh, it was, so it's the passer outer's fault? Is that what you're saying? You got a pen? You don't have to walk back there, dude. Just mark it and hand it back to me. <laughs> can I just go on the record of saying I love that we can be like this with one another that y'all are okay with me being a knucklehead alright and then while I'm doing this uh, Michelle and Maggie if y'all would come back we have these for the deacons and deaconesses Well, here, I'll come to you. Here, we're going to look at these together. Oh, we're counting? Mm-hmm. Okay. So just pay attention if there's any no's. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. Are we still getting pens? All right. Well, I'll go ahead and say while y'all are fishing those up, uh, Jacob and Carrie, congratulations. 100% vote. You guys are elders. Let's give them a round of applause. That's a big deal. Thank you, sir. What are y'all voting twice? What's going on here? Oh, okay. That's, yeah, huh. That's why your names were on those. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I also, I did have a few people text in that were not able to be here today. 
right. All right, Craig, you made it, bro. You're in. Congratulations. And Maddie, yeah, 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 go ahead. Maddie, first time ever, we had a 99% vote on you. Just, and it's only because somebody missed the fact that you were, were up for affirmation. So I'm counting as 100%. So thank you guys. Yeah, round of applause. That's a big deal. All right. Hey guys, we got some new elders and we got some new deacons, and I'm really excited about that. This this is this is significant for us as a body. Um, we have been talking about, we've been praying about this for a couple of months now. Um, and here's what I love, and here's what I appreciate is um, that God has been leading this process. I appreciate you guys praying. Um, I appreciate the fact that this is a big deal to you too. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of you. Um, and this is a significant moment in the body of our church, and I don't want it to feel like anything less than that. I know I'm goofy. That's just my, that's my nature. But I don't want that to take away from the fact that, that, that God is doing something in our body. So um, thank you guys for that. So today we're going we're gonna to take some time and look at Hebrews chapter 1. Um, we, you know, it's, it's been, this is, I have a lot to say today. The reason I have a lot to say is because I've been thinking about this passage for several months. In the last two weeks, I've been preparing for today. Um, and so this is one of those days where it was, it's more like, what do I not need to say versus what do I need to say? Um, but we got some good stuff for you today, or the Lord does. Um, I told you guys that uh, in the beginning of this that... Um, we were going to take our time, and that's certainly going to be true, and you'll see that today. These first four verses, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, just a little bit of trivia for you. These verses actually in the text are one sentence, um, and it's often referred to as the most eloquent sentence in the Bible. And when you read those first four verses, you can kind of get a sense of why that is. There's a ton of theology packed into them today. Um, today, we're going to begin to digest this passage, and we're going to look at that theology. Um, that it's important for us to understand that it's the opening statement of this letter that's written to the Hebrew people, to the church uh, that is in need of encouragement. To kind of get us off on the right foot, I've got a video that we're going to watch today, um, because, and it'll explain what it is and what it's about, but it's going to help us kind of get our minds in the right framework in order to be able to understand this. So Mike, if you would, we'll, we'll click the button or whoever's clicking, and we'll watch this thing. I love historical fiction. The reason why I love historical fiction is because it draws me into a process of learning that really works for me. It takes a time in history that can seem very dry and something that's relegated to a textbook, and it brings it alive and reminds me that there were real people and real situations and real tensions involved in that 
particular historical moment. When I did my commentary on the book of Hebrews for Zondervan, I started the commentary with a short piece of historical fiction because I wanted the reader to be drawn into the fact that this book was written for real people and real situations. So if we do the detective work on all the backdrop behind Hebrews, I want us to remember that the book was written to address a particular problem, and hopefully this piece of historical fiction will help remind you of that. So listen with me as we get drawn into the world of Hebrews. Antonius sat alone in a deteriorating second-story apartment located in a slum on the slope of Escaline Hill in Rome. As rain pelted the age-worn wall outside, a plate of bread and vegetables and a cup of sour wine rested on the makeshift table. The room had turned dark with the coming of this storm, and Antonius lit a small oil lamp against the gloom. With the light, hungry roaches materialized, scampering to the dark safety of cracks in the wall. In the apartment next door, a baby cried, and the infant's father screamed obscenities at the infant's mother. An urgent conversation rose and then faded as an unseen pair of business partners walked down the stairs. Somewhere in the muddy street below, a unit of Roman soldiers marched past, driven under sharp orders from its commander. And Antonius sat alone, thinking. That morning, his employer, a rough, burly fellow named Brutus, once again turned from the task of pricing fruits and vegetables to ridicule this young Christian. The verbal jabs had become as annoying as gnats darting to and fro in the shop's pungent air. Brutus was big, obnoxious, and cruel. Antonius cringed against the man's emotional blows, wishing he could strike back out of his hurt and embarrassment. Each time he turned the other cheek, it received a slap in kind. Yet he bit his lip, nursed his wounded pride, and again asked the Lord's forgiveness for his thoughts. Persecution of the church in Rome had yet to result in martyrdom. But since the expulsion of Jews under Emperor Claudius, Christians had continued to be harassed to various degrees by both Jews and pagans. Upon the expulsion, some had suffered imprisonment, beatings, and the seizure of their properties. That was almost 15 years ago now. Antonius had not been part of the Christian church at that time, but had heard about the conflict. In fact, his own grandfather, ruler of the synagogue of the Augustenses, had been one of the most outspoken opponents of the Christians. And when at 17 Antonius converted to Christianity, the old man almost died, declaring Antonius dead in a shouting match that ended in tears and a tattered relationship. In recent months, abuse of the church had escalated with the amused approval of the emperor himself, and now emotional fatigue was taking its toll. Footsteps in the hall, a scream in the night, Meaningless events that, nevertheless, set Antonius's heart racing. He had been told the cost of following the Messiah, but somehow his experience was different than he expected. 
In the beginning, he thought his joy would never be broken, that he would always feel the presence of God. He had been taught the Lord, the righteous judge, would vindicate his new covenant people. Did not the scriptures speaking of the Messiah say that God had put all things in subjection under his feet? But the church had taken a great beating lately, and members of its various house groups had become discouraged and were questioning whether Christ was really in control. In their hearts, they wondered if God had closed his ears against their cries for relief. Some, in their disillusionment, doubted and left the church altogether. Antonius Bar David remembered the traditions of the synagogue and the support of the Jewish community. The joy of the festivals and the solemn celebrations of the Jewish calendar. He appreciated the fellowship of Christ's community, but genuinely missed the traditions of his ancestors, and he missed members of his family. He watched them from a distance as they walked together to market by the Tiber River. Some of them still would not speak to him and passed him on the street as they would a Gentile. That was very difficult. And today, his loneliness closed in around him like a dark, damp blanket. To make matters worse, he was one of the poorer members of the church. When Antonius became a Christian, he lost his job as a tailor's apprentice in the Jewish quarter. He now spent his days sorting rotting produce, sweeping the floor, swatting flies, and receiving orders from obnoxious Roman slaves shopping for their rich mistresses. He stooped so low as to take pieces of rotten fruit home to supplement his meager food supply. Even rich men's slaves fared better. Earlier in the week, Gaius, the kitchen slave of an equestrian who lived in the area, tossed him a handful of overripe figs, saying, Here, Christian, change your cannibalistic diet by taking a bit of good fruit. Laughter hung with the gnats in the air. To be poor and a Christian invited double portions of ridicule. Antonius had missed the weekly meal and worship for the past two weeks, and his heart had cooled somewhat toward the little house group. A spiritual itch in the back of his spirit warned him, cautioning him concerning his loss of perspective. Yet in recent days, he had begun to snuff such thoughts from his mind as quickly as they came. Antonius's bitterness over his current circumstances was growing and slowly obscuring the truth. That night, the believers were to meet for worship and encouragement. Rumor had it that the leaders had received a document from back east somewhere. Although discouraged and tempted to skip the meeting again, Antonius's curiosity was aroused, and he decided to travel the short distance to the neighborhood house at which the fellowship was to meet. Entering the gathering room, he spoke greetings to several friends who also looked tired from the day's work. The hostess offered something to drink and friendly banter, but dejection hung like a cloud over the room. When the meal was finished, the group's leader, a good and godly man of almost 70 years, finally arrived. 
Joseph was a bit out of breath, having come from a meeting with the other leaders halfway across the city. He was visibly moved as he stood smiling before the group of about 20, his hands shaking slightly from advancing age. After a few words of introduction, Joseph took a deep breath and explained he had talked the other leaders into allowing his group the first reading of the scroll. With a twinkle in his eye, the elder said, I believe you will find this quite relevant. He unrolled the first part of the parchment and began reading with vigor. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. All right. I wanted to show that video today because it, for me, I was studying Hebrews, getting ready for this study, and I, I was going through a course, and this was one of the introductory par- portions of it. It moved me. Because often when I look at Scripture, it seems distant. It seems very different from my life. And, and I felt like that did a good job of hitting me in the feelers and getting my mind in the right place as I approached this book to understand why it was written and why it was needed in the church. So we watched the video, so I don't know about you, but now I can feel it. And I don't want you to write that off as important. Um, Feeling things, like God made us to feel stuff, right? We can all agree on that. And so feeling the right way about a book before we dive in is significant. I was talking with um, Jacob and Maddie yesterday, uh, and they didn't know I had this... uh, already written into the sermon, but we were talking about what makes a movie a good movie, right? And it was, it was interesting listening to the two of them talk about that. Um, let me change the setting here so I can read this a little easier. Here we go. Um, they, didn't, uh, they didn't know this. I had written this in there. But for Jake, the authenticity of what's happening in the movie is really important, okay? Like, if the things that are happening in the movie are the way things would happen in life, that is significant for him. Maddie, however, was talking about character development and how that was significant for her, that the storyline of the character really is what brought it home for her. For me, the ones that stick with me are the ones um, that have an emotional impact, and because that is, that's a significant part of who I am. If I wake up the next morning and I'm still thinking about the movie, in my mind, I can go ahead and drop that in the good category. As we look at this book that was written to a people, this is a sermon that was transcribed as someone was preaching it, and then it's passed around, not to just one church, but to many, for the purpose of encouraging. Churches were were struggling with persecution and all the difficulties that come with, with bucking against culture. And that's something that we've experienced before, certainly not to the degree that we just heard described. But if we're going to see this story as our story, it is important that we are able to connect to it. And that's why I wanted to take the 10 minutes that that video took this morning to help us emotionally connect with what's about to be read. It allows us to feel the tension in which this first message was delivered. That when, when the, the, in this fictional story, the old man comes in and he's out of breath and he's excited because he knows that his church needs to hear this word. This is the, the excitement that I have this morning. 
Because as I've studied, as I've read, as I've asked the Lord what He has to speak today, I have that same kind of excitement. As we spend time each week in this text, not just here on Sunday mornings, but in our personal time, my hope is that we're going to find ourselves in the text, that as we're reading, we're going to feel the tension that exists not only in the text, but also in our own lives, that we will be able to marry those two things together. I told you guys last week that we're going to take this study slow so that we can really got, digest it, um, and, and God didn't disappoint this week. My, my intention was to do the first four verses, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to do the first two verses, okay? So let's read those first two verses, and then we'll dive in a little bit. So this is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The young man in the, in the story that we just heard, just like so many of us, needed a breakthrough in his life. Life was heavy. Things were difficult. His family wasn't there to support him. And he just needed something to help him make it through the next day. Church, we know that following Jesus is difficult sometimes. There are days that are great, where we're excited about what God's doing in our life. Days like today when we get to affirm the call of fellow believers, those days are good. But those are, there are also days, sometimes it's the same day, where life is not easy, where life is difficult. We heard the same from Mickey this week in her testimony. Her life has been the worst roller coaster that's ever existed and instead of lasting a few minutes like most roller coasters hers has lasted for years she's been dealing with this on and on and on in spite of all of that though she's able to share with us that her relationship with God and the truth that she finds in scripture has allowed her to to trust him to trust his ability to care for her and her family I wanted to start today with those two stories because it's foundational for us to get comfortable with sharing our story. We talked about this in the introduction two weeks ago that, that our focus in this book is to, to see the redemptive work in Christ throughout the history of his people and to identify that as our story. So that when it comes time, when God puts the person in front of us and it's time to share the gospel, we're not sharing someone else's story. We're sharing our story. We own it. The title of today's message is God's Revelation. And we know that one of the ways that God reveals himself is through his people. And this is a significant thing for us to consider because culturally, it's normal for us to hide behind a mask and pretend that things are okay. Think about the last time someone asked you how you were doing. And did you answer them honestly? What is your typical or our cultural normal response when somebody says, how are you today? You say, I'm great. I'm good. Your house might be on fire, but your response is going to be, I'm pretty good. It's a pretty good day. That's culturally normal for us, but it shouldn't be. Today's message is wrapped around the idea that it is only by shedding our mask and being honest with other people that we're able to relate to them in a meaningful way. You think about the relationships that you have that are deep, that are, that are um, moving in your life, people that can speak into your life. Those relationships are based on honesty and authenticity. 
When we share our struggles, it gives us the opportunity to share with people that, that, number one, they're like us. We all struggle, but also we get the opportunity to share with how God is dealing with that struggle in our lives. We all know Mickey, and we know God better today because of the testimony that she has shared with the church. And how appropriate for this first message, this first sermon, to the Hebrew people to start with such a foundational idea that God speaks I don't know about you, but in our culture here in central Louisiana, when you start talking about God speaking, people get weird real fast. But the opening statement of this book is that long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways. Listen, the church needed then, and it still needs today to be reminded that God speaks. God speaks to his people. Divine revelation is always the turning point of a story. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But divine revelation, when God speaks into someone's life, the story changes. Since our creation, God has spoken to his people in many ways. But now, God speaks through his son. You know, I love how God does this. When I was writing all this week before last, I got a text from Mickey. I was driving one day. I think this was a Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday I had been studying and writing. She, she texted me and said, asked if we could talk. I'm driving. I got lots of time. I said, yeah, absolutely. So I called her. And she's on the fence about when and how to share her testimony. She knew that God was speaking, but she needed to. But she wasn't sure if she could get it done for that, for that Sunday. And she wasn't sure what all she needed to share. And I said, well, let me tell you what God's been speaking to me. And then we'll just see where that takes us. We'll, you know, maybe God will confirm what you're supposed to say. And she's like, okay. So I start unfolding for her the message that God has for us today. And I referenced John chapter 9. And immediately she knew that she was supposed to tell her story. God used John chapter 9 verse 3 to speak directly into Mickey's crisis of faith. If you listen to her testimony, she talks about sitting on the side of her bathtub. Saying, God, if this is all there is for me, I don't want it. I'm done. And at another point, she asked God, what did I do to deserve this? And God spoke to that in John chapter 9, verse 3, and we're going to read that in a minute. But her struggle was so great that she cried out to God, desperate to understand why all that was happening to her and is happening to her. Church, I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. Have you been to a place in your life where you just get to go, you go to God and say, why? Why this? Why now? Why me? Right? And God spoke. Remember last week, or the week before last, I told you we're going to dig into these scriptural references that are made throughout Hebrews. Look at verse 1, and after the word spoke, you're probably going to see a little A if you're looking at it in a Bible or in an app. And if you follow that, you're going to see that it points to John chapter 9, verse 29. And as I read that verse, I took a step back to get the broader context of what's going on in this story. And as I did, God began to speak to me about what he wanted to talk with us about today. He directed me to, to read the entire passage. And had he not, okay, because when I'm talking to Mickey, I didn't say God's going to have us read chapter 9. I said God began to speak to me about John chapter 9, but specifically the first three verses. And remember, God spoke to her in verse 3. So this chapter is, is a story of what happens when God speaks into someone's life, when someone shares their story. Let's see what happens. Look with me at John chapter 9. Hang in there with me. I know we're going to read a whole chapter, but we're grown-ups. We can do it. 
Everybody agree? Yes. Okay. All right. Here we go. John chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1 and we'll read through 34. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from his saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? And some said, He is the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. And then in the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told him, and I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. And they asked him, Is this your son, the one who says he was born blind? Then how does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and I can now see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciple too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does uh, his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. I want us to look at some specific things that happen in this story, and I want us to make some applications for our own life. Because here we are, God's been speaking that it's time for us to look at this story that's a story worth sharing. And here we have in John chapter 9, a story of a man who has an encounter with Jesus. 
And his life was changed and the lives of the people around him were affected by that change. So let's look at it. First thing I want to point out is that Jesus saw the man. Church, this is significant. Jesus sees us where we are. We have talked about this before that culturally there's this idea that we have to go get ourselves clean before we can go to God. And that's just not true. Jesus saw the man right where he was and he loved him and he worked in his life. Number two, there's a false assumption that disabilities, hardships, or pain are the result of sin. Now this is difficult for us to comprehend because culturally in our cultural religion, we have this belief that if you are a follower of God, that life is going to be easy and nothing bad is going to happen. But Jesus very plainly tells the disciples when they ask him about this, that this man was born blind so that the Lord might work in his life. Jesus clearly states in verse 3 that this man's impairment was placed on him so that God could work in his life. I'm repeating that because it's significant. I want us to think about that. Because when life gets hard, immediately we turn inwardly focused and we think it's about us. And we think, why do I have to deal with this? But often it's not about us. Yes, the blind man was able to see and that was a significant point in his life, but it went far beyond him. Number three, this man was healed because he obeyed Jesus' command. God can speak, church, but if we don't obey what he's saying, the work doesn't happen. God's not going to force himself upon us. Jesus made mud and he put it on the blind man's eyes. And if the blind man wouldn't have gone and washed, his sight wouldn't have been brought back to him. There is a role that we play in that and it's obedience. It also, think about this, is not much of a testimony if someone says, hey, didn't you run into Jesus? And you're like, yeah, I did. And he's like, well, what happened? And he's like, well, he put some mud, he, made, he spit on the ground, it was gross. And he made mud, and he put on my eyes and told me to go wash and they say, well, what happened? Nothing. I didn't go wash. What? Why would, you, why would you not do that? What kind of testimony is that? It's a terrible one, right? But church, listen, often, often God gives us a word and because it's difficult or it's out of the way or we don't really feel like it in the moment, we just don't do it. And we miss out on the work that God has for us. Number four, people took notice of God's work and began to ask questions. This is something I want us to talk about in life groups. Have you ever had someone um, take interest in your life because they see God's working? That's a significant thing that happens. Number five, the work of God challenged the status quo and caused a disruption in the cultural religion. Look at verse 28 with me again. Because Lines of belief are drawn here. And this is what is referenced in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. Look, I met a young lady this week um, at the AT&T store. Went to upgrade some cell phones. And going through the normal business of all of that. And through the course of conversation, I'm just being polite. She asked me about where I work because we're waiting on the computers to process all the information. And I started telling her. And I don't just come out and tell people that I pastor a church. Um, but if the conversation goes that direction, obviously I will. And so it went that direction. And she's like, oh, wow, you're, you're a pastor? And I was like, yeah. And she said, I'm looking for a church. I just moved to this area not long ago. And I was like, oh, really? Well, what kind of church did you used to go to? And she said, well, I was in Missouri. And she spoke of a particular denomination that's very legalistic. 
And, and part of their teaching is, is that if you sin, God can't forgive that sin and doesn't love you as much. And church, as she told this story, it reminded me of some of the stories that you have told me, places in our lives that we have been before where we held, were held down by slavery to sin and to the law, right? And so as I talked to this young lady, she was telling me about some things that she's been going through. And she visited a couple of churches in town because she wanted to figure out for herself if she believed the things that her church's parents taught her or if she, want, if she believed something different, which is a very common theme in our body, right? And so she starts going to these different churches in central Louisiana. And one of the things that she discovered at one of the churches was grace. She began to see God's activity in the lives of other people. And that began to challenge the beliefs that she grew up with. Okay, the result is a change in belief when we see God's activity in someone else's life. Not because someone convinced her with cunning words, but because she began to see God's life in other people's work, and you can't refute that. When you see God working, it causes us to, to, to put our attention in that direction. Cultural religion had rejected both the formerly blind man and Jesus in this story. The Pharisees rejected Jesus and the blind man. And listen, this is a significant point for many of us. Our story may be rejected by someone because it doesn't fit into the cultural mold of what a Christian looks like. You hear me, church? This will happen. We don't need to be discouraged by it when it does, but simply recognize it for what it is and then continue to pray for that person. Jesus, the Son of God, brings the formerly blind man into the family of God. Jesus' work in this man's life revealed the truth about who Jesus was. This caused him to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Look at verse 35 through 38. We didn't read this a while ago. This is after they, they kicked the man out of the synagogue. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. And Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Church, do you see what just happened? God begins working in this man's life, and all of a sudden the blinders come off, like literally and, and, <laughs> and spiritually. He sees Jesus for who he is. The next thing I want to point out is that Jesus reveals the sin of cultural religion. As we come to know God, the sin in our culture, uh, the sin that our culture has justified gets exposed. I don't know if you experienced this, uh, if you gave your life to Christ before you were a teenager, and then you grew into a teenager, and you began to learn about God, and all of a sudden you begin to see the sins of your parents, right? Anybody go through that? Give me a hand raise. Anybody? Just me? Okay, a couple of y'all. All right. All of a sudden, you begin to see the sin around you. As we grow closer to God, right? And this is the way this is supposed to happen. As we grow closer to God, God begins to point out sin in our lives and the lives of people around us. And that's what's happening in this story. The religious leaders made up these rules to protect everyone because they didn't want them to break the law, right? But they'd lost sight of the purpose of the law. It was all about the rules, we see this happen over and over and over again with the Pharisees, particularly with Jesus on the Sabbath. But the same thing is going to happen in our lives. Sometimes we're going to be the blind ones who don't see what God's doing. And I mention that because we need to be graceful with one another. 
as we see that happening, to not pounce on people and be like, you're such a sinner, but to be graceful. We may, God may call us to have a conversation, but we need to be graceful with each other. Hebrews 1 verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, and God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. God's activity draws people in, and that's a big deal. Prior to Jesus, God only spoke through the prophets. I want you to think about this for a minute. Let me grab your attention. Let me grab your attention. Think about if you could only get the news from your crazy uncle. Okay? Think if that was the only way you heard about what was going on in the world. That would be difficult, right? That would not be fun. That may be a bad example. But I want you to think about how different your relationship with God would be if you only got to hear from him through one person. The fact that God speaks to us is significant. For the first time since Adam and Eve in the garden, God is now speaking directly to all of his people. He's made himself available through the person of Jesus. Divine revelation is otherworldly and it grabs people's attention when it happens. Jesus is revealing himself to the blind man, the disciples, the religious leaders, and all those in that local community. Jesus did the work and the people spread the story. And it brought the whole community into the conversation. They began asking questions. They began thinking and understanding who Jesus really is by the story of this one man. Jesus worked in one man's life and the whole community gets the benefit of it. We see this pattern of Jesus' miracles drawing crowds play itself out over and over and over again in the Gospels. Listen, we're not Jesus, right? Amen? But God's going to work in your life just like he worked in the blind man's life. Well, not just like, you get what I'm saying. God's going to work in your life. It's going to benefit you, but it's also meant to be shared so that others can experience God's activity. I want you to remember, church, that God said, we studied this a couple years ago when we looked at Acts, but God said that he would pour out his spirit on us. Acts 2 verse 17 says, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. People need to hear about what God's doing in your life. Mickey's testimony is a great example of that. I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged by her testimony this week. All of us can learn something from her walk with God. I know a lot of her story because we're in a life group together. And as those things played out, she would share that with us on a week-to-week basis. But hearing all of it together just gave it better context. It helped me to see the flow of what God was doing in her life. And that was encouraging for me. We also need to address the fact that some of the people that are going to be drawn in will not be there to encourage us. Okay? This is important. Look at 2 Peter verse three, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Y'all have heard that saying before, right? Scoffers going to scoff? Yeah? That's how it goes, isn't it? This is an unfortunate side effect, but often when God begins to work in your life, people are going to come around you. Sometimes those people are going to be excited about it and they're going to encourage you to continue to pursue the Lord. And sometimes people are going to gather around you and tell you you're crazy. They're going to belittle you. They're going to make fun of you. 
Peter's addressing the fact that there were people and, and, and that there are people whose sole desire is to find a way to tear down what God's doing. It's unfortunate, but it is real. Jesus knows all too well what that's like, church. He feels it. He's there with you. Look at what he tells the disciples in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were the wor- of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the, world I, the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If, you kept, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Listen, when that happens, God's given us a great support system. If you're trying to share with somebody, God calls you to share with a family member or a friend about what he's doing in your life, and they reject that and they make fun of you, or what, however that plays out, take that to your life group. Share that with them. Let them encourage you. Let them pray with you for that person. Last point I want to make today, we still got a little ways to go, but God's presence gives us a new perspective on life. And look, I feel like I've made this point a lot over the last several years, but it's a significant one and one we need to see again. When God speaks, people's lives are changed. They're different. Divine revelation shows us God's perspective on our current situation. When God's when God speaks, we quickly realize that there's more to our story than we previously thought. The religious leaders mentioned Moses in John chapter 9. I want you to think for a second about Moses' life. They said, we're disciples of Moses. Don't you think that when Moses was in the wilderness, that he would have assumed that his life of influence in Egypt was long gone, right? And then what happens? God shows up, God speaks, God sends him back to Egypt to speak directly to Pharaoh, and he delivers his people. It doesn't matter if life's good or if it's difficult. When God speaks into it, our perspective on life itself is changed. We get a better understanding of why we are where we are. We get this new perspective because rather than looking at our life through our human eyes, we get a glimpse of it from the eyes of the Creator. That's why it mentions in chapter 2 that Jesus isn't just the Son of God, but God used Him to create the world. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to put together a piece of furniture, like a baby bed, a bookshelf, anything from Ikea. Yeah, most people in here. All right, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you've also had to take it apart three times because it wasn't correct. Okay, good, not just me. Appreciate that, all right? Here's what typically happens for me, all right? I, like, I look at the pieces and I look at the picture and go, oh yeah, I got this. Start putting it together and it doesn't work. And you have to take it all the way apart. And after the third time, I open up the instructions and go, oh, now I see. In this passage in John, we see that Jesus speaks the truth to the blind man and heals him. And every assumption he made is brought into clarity. All of a sudden, his whole life makes sense. Church, I'm pointing this out because often we look at our lives and we think we got it, right? We look at what's ahead of us and we, we chart a path for ourselves and we say, okay, I'm going to go from here to here to here and it's going to be awesome. And if you've ever taken a road trip with a toddler, you know that's not how it works. When we try to control our own lives based on our viewpoint, it's like trying to put together that thing we bought from Ikea without looking at the instructions. 
we're not going to get it right. God wants to do in our lives what he's doing in the life of Mickey, in the life of the, the blind man in the, book of chapter, in, in the book of John. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God wants to be in on it, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And when we share our stories, it invites others to begin asking God for his perspective on their situation. You know, I mentioned a while ago that when we share the struggles in our lives, it helps people to go, okay, they're not perfect, just like I'm not perfect. And when we share with them how God spoke into our lives, how God changed our circumstance, how God changed our view of what's happening, it opens the door for them to say, well, if God will do that in their life, maybe God would do that in my life. God's desire is to make himself known to the world and his plan is to use us continues to say in John chapter 15 verses 26 through 27 when the counselor comes the one I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth proceeds from the father he will testify about me you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning listen church because we've heard God speak and understand the story of God redeeming his people we're in a unique position to help other people because we know the story it's our story Our testimony is not a reproduction of something we heard someone else say. Mickey didn't share her story this week, and it's not a carbon copy of a story she heard someone else tell, right? It's her story, and with it comes power. Our personal experiences with God have changed our lives, and that should be all the motivation that's needed for us to want to share that with others. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, it says, For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. As we experience God and practice sharing what He's doing in our lives, we're going to understand what Peter and John are talking about here. As we experience God, there's going to be nothing that is able to keep us from sharing that with people because it's so significant for us. Just like the churches that this letter circulated through after it was transcribed, churches today need to be reminded of God's activity. We need to be reminded of the fact that God sent His Son, Jesus, the heir of all things, to speak directly to us. God created all things through Jesus, and the one that spoke the world into existence, and the one that healed the broken, is still speaking today. And He's still working in the lives of the broken today. This is a story, this is a truth that the world needs to hear. Sharing this message with the world will require that we allow God to speak first into our own lives, in our own circumstances. And as God's speaking, we got to heed His voice. We have to pay attention. We have to obey what He's saying. And we got to be honest with people about where we are. We have to share God's activity in our lives. Church, all of this, we can't share a story that we don't have. And when we do experience God's story, we got to be vulnerable enough, authentic enough to be real with people and not try to pretend like everything's okay in our lives because that doesn't benefit anybody, us or them. I want to I end today with some lyrics from a song I heard yesterday. It's, I think it's a new album from, uh, by We the Kingdom, and the name of the song is Cage. First couple of verses say this. What if I got real honest? What if I took a risk? What if I opened my heart and let you see in? What if I took my mask off trying to fit in? I don't want to be a mannequin. What if I let my guard down? What if I took a breath? 
What if I wasn't perfect? What if I was just a mess? What if I bled my soul out, given all I could give? I'm so tired of pretending. I'm coming out of my cages. I'm stepping down from my stages. I'm sick of tired of faking it. What I wouldn't give to be known. What I wouldn't give to be known. Let's pray. God, we know that you want to work in our, in our lives. Father, we want to see that. We want to see your activity for what it is. That it's because you love us and you're interested in what's happening in our lives, whether it's good or whether it's bad. God, it's my hope that that, that would be our motivator, that that's what would draw us closer to you. And that's what would encourage us to share those stories with other people. God, as we study this book of Hebrews, it's my hope that we would be identified in the story, that we would see ourselves in this story. And that we could share from, from your perspective the desires that you have for our lives and for the lives of people around us. God, help us this week as we study your word to understand you, to hear from you, and to speak as you call us to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stay.